When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the southernmost point of Dorne to the lands of always winter, what is west of west and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Cat Napsuck, and you got me today, and we are going to be taking your calls, your questions, and your thoughts in the second part of the show, but the first... Part of the show is going to be me recounting as best I can the wonderful experience I had last weekend up at the Hollywood Bowl for Game of Thrones Live, the concert, the live concert experience. Raman Jawadi, his normal cast and crew of singers, performers, local orchestra, choirs, the whole thing, video boards. If you haven't had the chance to see Game of Thrones in concert. I, I'm sure it will go on. I was uh, fortunate to be here for the last show of the 2019 tour. There's no reason. I think there's no reason for them to stop. And that's part of what we'll talk about. It is a look at Game of Thrones live today on Casterly Talk. All right, Grace's sister, Dawn, and her husband, Curtis, we call him Curdy, surprised me and Grace and her mom with some uh, tickets to the old classic Hollywood Bowl, which I do love going to. We got to go see Game of Thrones in concert. Grace got Grace and I got to see it last year. Uh, Great Western Forum, where the Lakers used to play. That's where we went down. Just so happened one of my best friends and his wife, uh, Paul and Leah, where they were there as well. We weren't sitting together. I think Sam and Rachel from the Schmodown were there as well. Game of Thrones fans uniting indeed, and we got to go, and it was a great experience. Moving experience. Uh, spectacular just show. It's not just the music and, and the highlights you're watching. The performers really give their all. So we are excited to go back. Hollywood Bowl, again, historic location. If you, if you never had a chance to, to go, get there. Get there early. You don't have to do the picnic thing. But get there early. Trust me, we almost missed the start of the show. I've been talking about other podcasts, the Knapsack Files, Afternoons. Even on Force Center, I was talking about this. I had some frustrations, some which will be talked about here. But some just, it's crowded, and and, uh, the event staff was uh, uh, doing their best to to make sure everyone got in. But we almost didn't get in. We had a double back. It felt like Tyrion, uh, uh, you know, telling everyone, we know a back way. Let's go in. We got in like a little side uh, ex you know, x-ray gate that let us in. But we got there in time, just in time, to see uh, Ramajawadi's son. Uh, his son and his daughter, I believe. I believe just the two. But uh, his son was on stage. I mean, three, four years old, introducing his father at the Hollywood Bowl. And it was spectacular. I was really interested to see the concert this time around because eight seasons have come and gone. I saw it after season seven. So it was an incomplete performance in a way. The whole story had not been told. And, of course, without a doubt, the contention around Season 8, a lot of the anger, a lot of frustration. I was wondering how that would factor into, of course, not my experience. I'm a big fan of Season 8. 
Grace is uh, pretty much as well. A couple points here and there, but we love season eight. And, you know, you're in a live concert venue. A lot of people around you. I was wondering what was going to happen. We've seen at conventions and panels and stuff where sometimes the crowd has been very vocal about their uh, opinions of, of where the show went. Fair enough to each their own, I guess. But Hollywood Bowl ain't cheap. Uh, and even though we were there as a gift, uh, I look around, it's like, you, you, this is an event. You, 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 bottles of wine are $52, you know? The food, you get a nice hot dog, you get a drink, you're, you're already over $20 just for yourself. You have to kind of, you know, better or worse, you have to invest to get there. And as I'll talk about the show and some of the highlights and some of the things, but I want to jump to the end. I want to get the negative stuff out of the way first. There were a couple of people next to us, and I'm not going to turn this into some bad stand-up comedy routine about uh, people and nah, their opinions and, and, and stupid things they do in public. But there was two people, a couple of people next to us, two couples, and a couple of them started talking very loudly over the music intentionally, not to mess with the people around them, but just so they could hear each other chit-chatting about life, the universe, and everything. But then uh, the, the songs about brand were coming up, and they started booing. They said, boring, next, and they're screaming, boring, as if it was a pro wrestling event or a UFC fight or a football contest. Uh, it was really, really annoying at best. Really, really. I wish I had that little stick that Mord had uh, when, when uh, Tyrion was in the Sky Cells. Just whack, whack, shut up. That's how I would have just sounded exactly like Mord. You know talk now. Um, but then the people behind me, they were complaining about the size of the seats and everything. It's a different conversation. But when it started getting to season eight, not season seven stuff, there's a little season seven, seven stuff, but the season eight stuff, they started becoming very vocal. And suddenly they were quite the experts on Game of Thrones. And I am fully aware that season eight didn't satisfy everyone. It's always this weird thing. It always happens in Star Wars. So we have to acknowledge from a very just... Nice, supportive, common sense approach. I understand you listening might not enjoy season eight as much as I do. We have to come to some sort of agreement, right? We still got to be friends. We still got to be functional fans. If you're at a live concert venue, I think that's even more in play. We're all there trying to enjoy it. It's very interesting. They go through a lot of the things from the long night, that episode in the battle, and they show on screen Arya taking out the Night King. And I'd say 80% of the Hollywood Bowl erupted into, into applause. It was like standing ovation. But everyone, when it came up on screen and the music hit, big cheers. It tells me something. It does tell me something about the general fangoing public. It's a good moment. I love the moment guy behind me starts screaming and that's where the show went to shit they try they they it, got, it was already bad but then from here they just doubled down on the bad is, is i think one of his great quotes and everyone around him in his little group <laughs> i was so moved by the whole event i'm locked in i'm seeing it at the, the end of they show danny and john's final moments they showed john they played they play that final uh scene of john walking up north with the wildlings and the music which is it's it's one of my favorite versions of the game of thrones theme and and they're back there guffawing and lobbing comments like their youtube sections but then the guy says this he says this oh you know 
season eight had some really great moments. It just, it didn't seem to be what I wanted it to be. Like, it's not what I wanted. And that's the problem. I still, I will fight tooth and nail. Those memes of uh, dragons burning each other in the sky, massive war, war scenes in that are that are like fan paintings, and then they choose a weird still frame of of some small, small innocuous moments from season eight, and they're like, "Oh, we wanted this, but we got this." That's that's the incorrect attitude. I just I'm, I I'm getting tired of it, and this guy behind me taking taking the joy out of the experience of this live event. Not completely. I can focus. I wanted to turn around and, and stab him with needle, like Arya does at the end of uh, season one with that with that stable boy. I did, and it does not mean that there's not room for debates. I think people get that. I, I mean, I'm personally sick of the debates. I've muted every word of Game of Thrones on Twitter. I can't see. I can't even see my own promotional tweets for Casually Talk, and I'm better off for it. I hope you guys don't do it because you can. You know, at least at least keep Casually Talk in there. Uh, so you can see the episodes when they come up on Twitter. But and just this desire, I it's, I don't turn around or or scream loudly. I love this season. I I quietly enjoy the event and 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 make it for myself. If you're packing up drinks, picnic baskets, and seven of your friends and paying top dollar to go to Hollywood Bowl, and that's your approach to this, get out of here. Just stop watching. You don't need this anymore, and we don't need you. Go on to something else. Wheel of Time's coming. Enjoy it, sport. Lord of the Rings series is going. Go cast stones at that. I love the Lord of the Rings movies. Extended editions all the way, baby. I'm not a huge fan of the Hobbit movies. I'm not. You know what I don't do? I don't watch them. I was once in a video with JT about it. That's the only time I really publicly talked about it. I wouldn't go to a Lord of the Rings concert experience. Which is there, There's got to be one of those, right? I wouldn't go to that, and when Hobbit scenes come up, just yell, Stupid! Peter Jackson was rushed! Wasn't given a chance to finish this the way he wanted! Guillermo del Toro was pushed out! I don't do that. I'm just asking for all of you to not do that as well. It's similar with the thing that gets, especially with Star Wars and, and Collider Jedi Council. The Collider video will post out the tweet. Here's today's show and the last, whatever the title question is, which half the time we don't come up with. It's SEO stuff. If you don't understand SEO, it's not just some buzzword. It's, it's, it's got computer programs attached to the words. If you do it right, you search, you find the most searchable words. Some of the titles are just a council. It's just like, it's just, you know, will Palpatine open an ice cream shop in episode nine? You don't need to respond. Just watch the show. You got to put a comment up. If you want. But to respond to the tweet, is like screaming at billboards. Do you pull over to the side of the road like Homer Simpson and yell at a billboard? Why are you doing it at a Game of Thrones concert? Why are you doing it? But that's the negative stuff. The positive stuff was this was a spectacular, wonderful, emotional experience. We were able to push through those slight distractions. And I love seeing all of the story up there. And so when you see some of the early stuff that again, when I saw the concert in, uh, after season seven, early season stuff, early character stuff with Cersei and Danny and John, I mean, come on, it's like rock star stuff. People love it. When they go into Dracarys, oh man, 
to hear that live, to see the video behind it. And then the, you, you're, you're hearing Danny go, Dracarys. Wow. It is like seeing The Who or Stones or Beatles in their pro- Like, this is, it's the same experience. And Juwadi's out there with his guitar for some of it. Wow. It's amazing. But this time around, I was like, wow. If it all kind of felt complete for me. And this journey, particularly with Danny, was moved by by the clips and the songs around Daenerys Targaryen more than I was ever before. Danny, especially in the middle of the show, I, I I've been on air saying Danny disappoints me sometimes. Danny frustrated me sometimes. I'm rooting for her, and she would do things I don't like. Hey, tossing Jorah out, number one on my list as a Jorah guy. But aside from that, that's actually pretty small. And then to see where she ends up, right? And this, and this, where she starts, and it's this, it is a growth. It is this wonderful journey of, of self awareness and self uh, achievement and self uh, find discovering one's self worth and, and, and self empowerment. I mean, Danny's journey is important. It's important. But look where it ends. And I've said it before like, not, her end, not just even her death. But her end and the decision she starts making by season seven or eight, it does not discount anything you learn from what she went through or anything we can learn from the character. It to me now, as I see it on screen, and I haven't done a full season eight rewatch, but to see it on screen at this concert experience, to go from early clips where you see a very young, young Daenerys Targaryen and a very young Amelia Clark with, with Cal Drogo, to, to, to see those things and then to go all the way to the, you know, seeing her death, to see where she's, she's come for me. And this, this is a gut reaction. It is not necessarily your reaction. It's not necessarily what was there. You know, sometimes it's your own journey and what you take from it. As I was watching her die and Drogon uh, burned the throne, incidental or not, doesn't matter. Same result to me. The throne is a symbol that destroyed so many people. King's Landing, the Red Keep, it's a symbol. They showed, side note, they showed that that moment with Danny staring at the Red Keep, staring at the castle, staring at the center of King's Landing, and those people behind me started laughing. And the bells, one goes, oh, she hears the bells. And that, that, see, that's all it took. She is staring. Listen up. She is staring at 300 years of her family's right to be there that they took by conquest and in her mind that it's hers and she is so close and all she has to do is be the dragon she's always known from episode one. She steps into the hot burning water and even then you get a sense that she knows maybe I'm the one. It takes a long time time for her to get there but look beyond what you see on the screen oh so she sets off and burns and i'm watching her die on screen at the hollywood bowl with the music playing and i just seen clips of her with cal drogo i've just seen clips of her yelling dracaris and taking the unsullied as her own army and then them deciding to be there I'm seeing that and I'm watching her die and I'm watching everything that's gone around uh, her character and her journey. And I felt for once almost relieved for her. 
I felt almost as if now she is free. Now, would I have been happy with Danny living? Do I think Danny deserves to live? Yes. She had a bad hand dealt to her. In fact, she had many time and time again. And those some of those bad hands uh, were because of how she played the, the previous hand. But going back from near her very birth, Daenerys Stormborn, bad deck of cards, man, bad hands. And I feel for her. And as I was watching the scene and the music, and this is what the whole thing is doing to me. Again, this isn't necessarily the facts of the story. I'm watching it, and I'm thinking, she's free. Go home to the other side where Cal Drogo and your son are waiting. I kept thinking again of the, of, of the visions in season two. Before season eight, I'm not giving myself too much credit here, but before season eight, I constantly said to a lot of people on air and off, I think Danny dies. And, 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 and I'm not a big speculator. I'm not good at it. I don't predict things well. I love just enjoying what comes before me with little to no holding on to my own expectations and then seeing where it fits into the lessons and the journey and the story. That's how I do it. That's how I watch Star Wars. That's where it is. Not the guy behind me going, well, there was a great, he used the word great, by the way. There was some great moments in season eight. Eh, just not, none of it felt like what I wanted. Because you've written scripts, buddy. I go back to those visions and I'm thinking, as I always said, we believed every one of them. And there's not a lot of in the show as, as, as compared to the book. Slightly different. But going back to the show, season two, which, by the way, I think is better than Martin's second book. I think they got a chance to edit. And, and the second book is already when George is starting to spiral off into his own world, which, by the way, I love. That's not a criticism of George. I think George R. R. Martin would, me, would tell you, yeah, kind of. I just kind of write where my heart takes me and where I think the story goes. And it, uh, sometimes I write myself in the corners. I think that's part of the reason this has taken so long. Season two versus book two is an interesting discussion for me because book two, they're all, they're effing great books, but season two just cut through a lot of things and gave us great moments. And those visions at the end, even though they're not as in depth and not as, uh, as many of them as, as there are in the books, less stuff with Quaith and all those kind of things. I get it. Why do we believe the things we wanted to believe? in those visions, but we never believed the one of her. She's standing in what we thought was winter coming to King's Landing, a destroyed keep. She's standing there and it's ash, not necessarily snow. Maybe it'll call him A, it'll call him B. Then she walks north of the wall to be reunited with Cal Drogo. They told her visions told her and she uh, tried to fight against it and, you, and you, as he should someone tells me yeah you're gonna you know i got your i got your future down but there's things i don't like i'm gonna try to change it great scott marty i'm gonna figure it out so as i watched this play out in front of me in the concert i i just went back to that vision and thought i feel so sorry for danny I feel so sorry for the way it went. Not, not all her fault at all. I mean, to me, very little. 
Danny's fault. It was the pursuit of the throne, the pursuit of her legacy, the pursuit of what she felt was hers, of what she was told was her brother's and then told was hers for so long and what she believed. I will burn cities to the ground. Well, she did. She probably shouldn't have. Torment and pain and frustration. A relationship with Jon Snow that could not compare ever. I don't think it was designed to compare with Cal Drogos. And now you're reunited. As Drogon carried her off, I felt a sense of relief that I didn't have necessarily the first time watching the show, which is why I can't wait to do a full rewatch. But watching this moment with the music, I just felt, go home, Danny. Go home. There is no more torment, no pain, no death, no destruction. You need not burn any cities to the ground. You are with the ones you loved. It's a great moment. Great moment. I also was really moved by the show Ned Stark's death. I mean, they show it. Baylor is such a great episode. So well done. And I, I was watching that. I was like, for those who didn't know it was coming, and I at the time was one of those. I hadn't read the first book yet, season one. Took that big dive into the deep end right after. In part, in large part, because of the death of Ned Stark. As I watched his death play out on the screen here at the Hollywood Bowl, knowing now what we know where the show goes with a lot of the characters, knowing also, not forgetting Rob Stark and and and, uh, and what all went, went down at um, the Red Wedding with Catelyn Stark and Delisa and everyone, knowing all that. We didn't throw out anything we learned or anything we felt for Ned Stark in general. People were upset. Again, if you didn't know it was coming, if you knew it was coming, you were probably giggling like, ah, I can't wait. I couldn't, couldn't wait to tell you all. But when he dies, we have, we have eight up to their nine. It's the end of the night episodes. You get nine episodes with Ned Stark and Sean being so great. And there's so much there. And you learn a lot. It's, it's a lot of season one really is through Ned Stark's eyes, right? I mean, that's why it hurts so much. When his head was chopped off by Ellen Payne, none of those experiences, none of those joys, none of those lessons, none of those moments we enjoyed with and from Ned Stark went away. It wasn't poof, gone. What a waste. It was a journey. And then you get to look back. We do these what ifs here on the show. What if he had kept packing up and didn't let Baelish get in his ear? What if he grabbed the girls and left and was up heading north when everything went crazy with with Robert Brathy. What if he didn't try to stand up to Cersei? What if he just went back to the north? What if he never came down? We ask those questions. We ask those questions because the journey of Ned Stark was fraught with air. It was fraught with mistakes. With was a journey from a man, from a person, from a character that was just and justified, but flawed like the rest of us. And made mistakes like the rest of us would. So watching Ned's death on screen, it it it, it connected with Danny's death. Nothing you felt, nothing you went through, nothing you learned 
any of the joy you had from being a Daenerys Targaryen fan is not gone. Same with Jon Snow. It's that same relief. And they play it again, you know. I love it. It's such a beautiful poetic shot. First shot of season one, episode one to the last shot. I just love it. John's going north. Free. Free. I don't want any of this. I believe he is Azor Ahai. I think, I think if, if, if you stop looking at the surface details, but you look at the three shots it took, and the final one being the sword plunged into the, the heart of Nisa Nisa, uh, if you want to get to that level, that's what we got. I think it plays, it has to, to play out similar in George's uh, complete story. But regardless, you can learn a lot from him, and he makes some mistakes. He does things wrong, but he does things, you know, pretty spectacularly too. And I, I felt more, in watching him ride north to freedom, there was a sense of relief. I wish Danny could have been alive. Maybe rode Drogon back to the, uh, to the Great Grass Sea. Maybe. But she didn't. She died. And that's sometimes what happens. It didn't change any of the lessons. It didn't change anything. I, I was unpacking, still unpacking. I got some, some uh, Daenerys Targaryen uh, uh, memorabilia. And uh, I pulled one of the Funko Pops out, her on the, uh, the throat at Dragonstone. I'm like, this, I, I, this, is, this is still great to me. Nothing changed. That's just me. Definitely wasn't people behind me. <laughs> God bless them. God bless them. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Castly Talk rolls on. We take your thoughts, your questions via the wonderful Anchor app. Stick around. It's Castly Talk. here on Casually Talk. Thanks for coming back here. Uh, thanks for uh, going through the breaks. That means a lot. It helps keep us, uh, keep the lights on here. And we appreciate that. All right. One of the things I really love doing on this show, and one thing that is, is, is completely made possible by Anchor is the ability for you all to call in and, and put your thoughts up there, and you can do that through the Anchor app. And I love it. It's what made Daily Thrones, which used to be on this feed, uh, so fun to do. It initially was me doing five, ten minutes a day on my thoughts on Game of Thrones, and I realized, while that's fun, and I you know, enjoy sharing my thoughts, what's more fun is having that community of listeners and supporters around. We had a lot of them on Daily Thrones. Anchor was a little different back then. It, it was all kind of the same on the surface, but it was designed to be something you listened to and recorded and created on your phone and... Uh, now it's more of a regular podcast hosting site, which I really do recommend. If you hear commercials during a lot of my podcasts, um, I could choose to do whatever I want on those ads, and I definitely choose to do the ones that say Try Anchor Out. I, I love it. Um, so I want to get even more, not back to that, but do we here in Casually Talk, but I want more of that. And we have our regulars, our good friend Eric Monroe, Mark and Mark Talk, uh, and, and others, Alvin Diaz, uh, you guys have wonderful thoughts and uh, questions and, and thought starters and great what ifs. And we got some of our f- friends today. We got a new caller today, and this is what I want. So if you're listening 
Uh, if you're worried about it, you got 59 seconds. Uh, write it down if you want to read it. Uh, go off the top of your head. Doesn't matter. I want to hear your stuff. I want to hear your thoughts. And we've been recently talking about the what ifs in Game of Thrones. So if you have what ifs going back on season uh, one, season one through eight, and what if this had happened, let us know. And uh, we also have some topics we we're talking about recently, like mentoring. And Billy's got a great follow up to that mentoring conversation. Hey, Ken, it's Billy. I just wanted to call in about one of my favorite examples of mentors or mentoring in Game of Thrones. And it's actually, it starts off in the first episode of the first season of Game of Thrones when Ned teaches Rob, John, and Bran that the man that passes the sentence must swing the sword. That runs throughout the entire series of Game of Thrones as we see all three of those boys eventually become future kings. We see Rob have to, he passes a sentence and swings the sword when he kills Rickard Stark, and we see the fallout that happens there. We see John have the same, excuse me, John has the same situation when he has, when he executes Jano Slint. And then we have Bran, who has learned the lesson from Ned that you have, if you pass a sentence, you must swing the sword. But does he really swing the sword? We don't really know, and that's a thing for the future we can speculate. All right, Billy, great stuff. Yeah, the the Ned Stark mentoring program is uh, quite quite on display. And going back to what I was saying in the uh, first half of the show, you know, you know those lessons go away when Ned dies. In fact, they become stronger. Arya and Sansa, who of course go on to great things. Man, what a family! What a good job, Ned. You've you've got f- three kings and uh, one queen, and Arya doing her own thing. You've done a done a great job. Yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, <laughs> We 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 uh, we uh, Rick on Stark, rest in peace. That's all I'm going to say. I was trying to figure out a nice way to say it. All right. um, yeah, but the mentoring starts there, and it does carry through. And Brandon, away to me, you know, he's there when he he makes Tyrion the hand of the king by a little bit of punishment, and he's there for it. Uh, I think he he definitely learns those lessons. He learns all of them, but um, for for better or worse. And then the lessons they don't learn. And that's what I love a little bit later on. The uh, Sansa and Arya uh, kind of had that, like, father was great, but father also didn't completely prepare us, particularly us girls, and maybe didn't really quite know how, especially in the early days. And there's lessons to be learned from that. Rob didn't necessarily learn from them. And I think that's uh, part of it. Part of the lessons come from failure, and failure is the best teacher. That's some of the themes there in Last Jedi. Like, it's really powerful stuff, and the mentoring starts right away with Ned. And it's it's great to go back and watch season one and to have, you know focus in on the conversations Ned has with his kids, and really kind of see how that will play out. Even even Theon, how it plays out the rest of the show. So, Billy, I think it's a great idea. Great. Um, a great conversation. We should we'll dive more into the lessons of Ned Stark. It'll be fun. All right, we've got uh, Eric Monroe. Hey, Ken Cashley Talk. So I want to talk about deleted scenes as far as the ones that they have released. And, you know, there have been a bunch. There was one with Daria killing Eerie, which I was glad they deleted because I was a big Daria fan. And that having that scene would have taken my sympathy away from her. There was there was an interesting one of John in season three where he had a chance to escape from the wildlings. But, he, you know, when they're all sleeping, but he chose not to. And he goes back to cuddle with the grit. There's one of the sound 
Johnson and the Hound that's pretty good. But I, th- I think the cream of the crop has to be Tywin Lannister with uh, Grandmaster Pycelle when Tywin's fishing. It's, it's a great scene. You know, I love when Tywin says, am I truly the only one who sees through this performance? Can everybody really be this stupid? And even Grandmaster Pycelle says, you know, I'm, I have trouble believing it myself sometimes. And, you know, Tywin's like, well, why do you do it? He's like, Grandmaster Pycelle says, I just want to be here. Um, so that's a scene I would put back in the show. What do you think about the deleted scenes? Yeah, this is something I want to revisit when I maybe have a, a, a bigger list and maybe rewatch them myself. But I, I have seen a lot of these scenes. I've, I've seen everyone that's on, on the on the Blu-ray DVD set. But unlike infamous and famous Star Wars deleted scenes or even some Lord of the Rings stuff, a lot of the extended stuff when you watch the theatrical versions, you, you kind of really can look at the scenes that are extended and, and rank them too. Um, I'm not as familiar with the ones in Game of Thrones and deleted scenes. I am one of them. And I think JJ Abrams is one too. It's like, nah, deleted scenes are deleted generally for a reason. There's very rarely something that I see in a deleted scene that I think, Oh, that should have been in there. Every once in a while, there's some stuff that pops up, uh, that I go, I, right, yeah, you know, uh, I, I could see I would have wanted uh, that to be in there. Uh, one, of, one of the last Jedi where, where they have Luke has more of an emotional private reaction to learning of Han's death would have would have liked that one in there. But uh, but generally, I think they're all cut for a reason. Uh, the two there's several that are talked about, but he talked about two of my favorites, the Picel and Tywin one. It's just amazing. I just love those characters. Love them together. But that moment where Tywin, according Tywin's not fooled one second and Pycelle straightens up, the gig is up. We learned that in like season one, and it never really comes into play, which is kind of the point. You know, I don't think that's revealed as some, at the time I thought, oh, this is a big plot. Like what's Pycelle doing? No, this is just what people are doing here to stay in court, to, to, to work every advantage possible. Uh, in their favor, and that's what Pycelle's doing. So I love the moment that Tywin's not fair. Now, now, what's interesting, I wonder, you take from that scene that Tywin's like the only one that knows, but I also, more, more than that, I take that Tywin's one of the only ones that would call him on it. That I think other people probably know too, or probably can guess. Cersei doesn't really like Pycelle, maybe she can figure it out. I'm sure, I'm sure someone, you know, Roz keeps the secret, I'm sure, but, uh, you know, at some point someone whispers would have uh, popped around. But that Tywin's the only one that would call out that behavior. Everyone else, to me, might be a little afraid, too. It might be a comment on that. Or even someone as powerful as Cersei, she's not going to call him out because she's using her own character to move herself forward. She's creating uh, a, a, a facade, an image uh, publicly that's masking her pain or masking her doubt or masking her quest to to get her father's approval for carrying on the, the dynasty. You know, all those things. So she might not want to call it out because then maybe he might call things back out too. Varys might very well know, but Varys has the secrets and it doesn't really matter, you know, but I love that Tywin is like, it ain't fooling me, man. Why are you doing that? And then never, you know, Tywin doesn't need to call it out publicly because he doesn't need to play games. Tywin, to me, this is why Andres Cabrera and I are going to dive more into Tywin very soon here on Castle Talk. That's why Tywin's so interesting. He doesn't need. He is who he is. Uh, the other scene, I do like the Jon Snow one where he almost leaves. Yeah, a little moment. Like, we get it. There's a lot of things, too. It's like, yeah, like, 
we know he probably at one point contemplated leaving, you know, it makes sense, but to actually see it, sometimes it's, it's effective and that's a good little moment too. There's a lot more deleted scenes. And if you out there have a deleted scene that you like in game of Thrones, let's talk about it. Let's go back to it. Final call from the day comes from Thomas, a new caller. Hey, Ken, it's Thomas Strofke from Chicago. I was wondering if there are any two actors or characters you wish uh, shared a scene together that never had a chance to meet on the TV show. Every time I rewatch season one, I, I find myself wondering what a scene would be like between Sean Bean and Charles Dance as Ned Stark and Tywin Lannister, respectively, or if somehow Michelle Fairley and Diana Rigg may have crossed paths on the show as Catelyn and Lady Olenna. Just interested in kind of the dynamics of, the, of those scenes, how they would play out and on sort of a what-if level, kind of like how you've been playing out over the last few months. So thanks, Ken. Thomas from Chicago, man. I had a pause there. I was thinking about all the hot dogs out there during Star Wars celebration of a great pizza. You know, good hot dogs. Oh, can't wait to go back. Thomas, this is a great question. I love it. And I love that it's it's definitely in more of the what if territory, right? It's it's, it's maybe even characters that died or in different parts. Um, Tywin and Ned. I'd love just them if they had had just a big juicy scene together, right? Tywin's out and about. He's fighting the war. He doesn't really come on back till later. He's out and about. He's out in the world. But if they had run into each other, that would have been pretty fascinating to me. Rob Stark and Tywood, if they'd ever parlayed in some way, that would have been pretty interesting. Yeah, Ned, Sean Bean and Charles Dance going toe-to-toe would be great. It's like Diana Riggin and Charles Dance going toe-to-toe at one point. And Cersei Lannister, Lena Headey, and, and any actor going toe-to-toe is amazing to me. Um, I'm going a lot to Ned, and I don't know why. It's a Ned-themed show today. Um, Ned and Stannis. If there had been, you know, because in the books, Stannis is at the court, right? He leaves a little later, right? And my memory's a little foggy on the exact details, but he's supposed to be there. So, uh, just like Barristan's supposed to be smart of this, part of the small council. But if Ned and Stannis had had some kind of conversation after or right around the part that Ned is learning, instead of a letter, if they have a face-to-face, if Ned rides the Dragonstone and is like, I need to talk to you. I know, you know, I'm not saying we, we're best of friends. I'm not saying that I even want you to be king, but here's what I've learned. And having the, having that dawn on Stannis, Stephen Delane, like, oh, this, that throne's mine. I've sat quietly doing what I've supposed to do, what I've been told to do. I've held castles. I've won sieges. I've won wars. I've done everything I'm supposed to do now, and I got nothing for it, nothing that I wanted, and now this is mine, and I'm going to go get it. But Ned's still kind of being like, you know, you ain't my favorite. <laughs> and your brother was stupid. He really went he went down a bad path. Can we get the great stuff with Renly and Ned? And with Renly, right? No one wants Stannis to be king, but... For Ned to really show, like, hey, I don't like you, but this is what needs to happen. Be a great scene there. And then just complete outside of the box, Obrin Martel, Pedro Pascal. Uh, just the monologue moment, the, the I'll be your champion moment with Tyrion Lannister alone. Uh, I, I want to put Pedro Pascal in, in a scene with almost any actor on this show. Even just... Even the moment with Braun, who are you know, how are you at night? I must have killed the right people. Like I love that. They so great. Ned and Obrin at some point having a conversation would have been interesting. 
uh, does Oberyn blame Ned uh, or anyone on in, 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 in House Stark for what happened? Because they were in league with Tywin at the end, you know? That kind of like, yeah, you're good, but you're a part of something bad would have been an interesting conversation. And Jon Snow and Oberyn Martell would have been good. Uh, Jorah and Ned having, uh, if they'd ever had like a face to face over some of the problems in the past and Karen Hines, Mance Raider. God. As much, as much as I love everything about this damn show, I want to definitely want to more than Mance. When he, when he actually dies in the show, broke my heart a little bit. Just every, uh, to Meg and Gren. Grennan Mack, that scene alone, oh my God, in his final moments with Jon Snow, I just wanted the choice. Like, it's so good. So good. So, Mance, Mance with just about anyone. Set him on down south. Would have been spectacular. It's great stuff. Thomas, you got me thinking. And we'll probably revisit that as well. And I'll throw it to some of the uh, other members of Casually Talk when they arrive. And uh, some are heading up the King's Road and down the down the down the King's Road to our recording studios very soon. All right, so right, so right. That is it for this week here on Castley Talk. I appreciate everything you guys bring to it. Thanks for the call today, Thomas, Billy, Eric. Thanks for all of you letting me vent my very positive, wonderful, emotionally moving experience at Hollywood Bowl that only had a few bumps in the road. Can't wait to do it again. And if you all get the chance, you better, you better go see that concert in uh, in person. Make it happen. Make it happen. You can follow Casterly Talk well on Facebook. Like it. Use the hashtag Casterly Talk to join the conversation. You can follow me at Ken Knapsack. Go to my website, KenNapsack.com, for information on my book, Why I Love Star Wars, where my next few appearances will be. And uh, don't forget, if you're a baseball fan, some of you are, some of you aren't, but if you are, Check out my column, my weekly column on Flagged Sports, writing about baseball these days. A lot of fun. We'll see you next time on Casterly Talk. <laughs>